All right, I'm Perry. This is Hidden Plain Sighting. To my right, star of all things Blaze TV, the one and only Mr. Brandon Steele. That's embarrassed, David. Bro, this this has been a long time coming. Um, long time coming. I, I've probably been threatening to do this since we started recording. I just yeah. was never sober enough to do it. <laughs> it is a sober man's task. Uh, I've been working on this for since mid-November, I think. Every fucking day. It ended this, this, uh, where, where, of course, we're going over the synchronicity key today. Well, I have a 46-page, 79-citation outline. We're going to have to break this in two episodes because it's going to take a minute. Um... Yeah, so this could be. This is not going to be like our Michael prophecies breakdown or the awakening in the dream. Before we we always kind of just um, outlined how bizarre and absurd his book was, and then we called him gay. Which yeah. we're still going to do that today. But yeah, he's still gay. <laughs> I did also put a lot more effort into this in trying to actually debunk his claims. Well, you see, the key to enjoying David is to not check. Oh boy, is it? <laughs> it's all really fun if you never actually check. You know, Ancient Aliens is sick if you don't check. All this stuff is so much more believable when a guy authoritatively just says it and you take his word for it. Because yeah, it's look, this the the system works. It's the honor system. Yeah. You know, we're all just going <laughs> to believe we aren't lying. Which is why all these people tend to run in the same groups is because they have to team up with other people yeah. that like they don't want anyone in their circle to fuck up their group. It's advanced improv. They're all just yes anding each other. Right. So Corey gets together with David and David brings in Emery Smith and all that. And everyone just kind of agrees to never question anything. And this is why the universe has bestowed us upon them. Yes, because even under the most basic of examinations, everything completely falls apart. I also want to say we've been way too kind uh, in reviewing David's past works. Really, I, I guess it was a Awakening in the Dream was the first time where his writing was like unintelligible. It was just, yeah, it was just dog shit. And it's only gotten worse from there. But really, it was never good. It's just Awakening in the Dream and then especially the Michael Prophecies was so bad that in comparison, the fact that he had written a book that was readable made it I, look so much yeah, better. Yeah, I think by good, I just usually mean like it was literate. It was, you can like read it was, a sentence and it makes sense. Yeah, it was coherent. All right, I, I can't. I also love that, and few authors do this, David voices all his own audiobooks. <laughs> he also cites himself. Well, with that, uh, let's get into this. I do also think David is kind of an indictment on the college system because think of how many people are out there that think they're smart because they read a few books. It's too many people. Too many people. The college system is like, if you read these 300 books, we'll give you a piece of paper that says you're not fucking stupid. Which, the thing is, his piece of paper, which is, a, I think, a bachelor's in psychology, it has nothing to do with physics or chemistry or biology, but that's what he writes about. Yeah, but he's well-read. <laughs> that's true. One one degree applies to and all. And think about it. There's thousands of people out there just like that. They think they should make more money because they read Plato. That's the scary part, everyone. There is a David Wilcock amongst you. Someone yeah. Your job is basically an illiterate buffoon who reputation washes using a college degree. Yeah, an illiterate who brags about <laughs> books they've read. All right. Uh, to begin, in the foreword to uh, this book, the foreword was written by his uh, 
Dutton Books editor, and I just kind of flagged this because he described David in it as relentlessly positive and optimistic. Relentlessly gay. <laughs> I don't think that description fits him anymore, but uh, I, th- I think somewhere along the way he has lost his optimism, probably when everything in his life collapsed. I mean, look, these two books were were New York Times bestsellers, and he's already admittedly fucked that money away. He sure has on flying cars. Yeah, most people <laughs> don't get one New York Times bestseller, let alone two, and then fuck the money away. Yeah, and then to try and George Jetson yourself and becoming yeah. a billionaire only to lose it all. That's hard to do without becoming like a hardcore coke addict. He's the only guy I'm ever aware of who has fucked away that much money on something that is not an addiction. Yeah. I guess it probably could be argued it is some form of addiction. He's he's addicted to seeking uh, sort of uh, plaudets. He he wants yeah, to I mean, be he's applauded to, for. He's addicted to the spotlight, and he's clearly got a messiah complex. Chapter one: the quest. Uh, I want to add before we start here. I'm only checking the more extraordinary claims in this book because there there are 684 citations, and not all of them are an issue. Sometimes it's just a basic scientific claim he backs up, like uh, he said at one point, bacteria can grow in extreme environments, and he linked to some article. Or sometimes he just pulls a quote from a well-known speech, uh, like the the Gettysburg Address. I have a dream. uh, You joke, but he literally (laughs) cited that, yes. It's so funny to be so thorough and so stupid at the same time. he, He does... He definitely inflates his citations just for the sake of having citations. Oh, 1,000. Well, in his, again, in his college-educated mind, he just thinks more citations is good. Equals not good, better, yeah. Not good citations are good. Just get more. Well, he doesn't care about the quality of the evidence. It's just that he has something he can point to that vaguely yeah. supports his point. Uh, where was I in here? Okay, also, he cites the law of one a lot and i can't exactly fact check the law one other than say i don't believe in channeling and there's no evidence it's uh, real along those lines i got bored and i counted he cites the law of one 86 times he also cites himself 49 times i'm kind of surprised those aren't bigger actually the citing himself i expected to be at least 100 based on yeah. reading this so oh, right off the top 20 percent of that 684 that's just him citing the law of one or himself and then later on, he cites a book about uh, Edgar Casey 20-something times in one chapter. So literally a quarter of the citations in this book are David himself, The Law of One, or a book about Edgar Casey. I mean, I guess those are pretty much the three pillars of David. Yeah, they're not uh, not what I would call solid evidence. And though. now I guess <laughs> you have the fourth pillar, which is the Archangel Michael. All right, so that said, my basic test uh, during this book is when I read a claim, does it strike me as odd, or is the claim he makes foundational to his argument? Sometimes he cites a source for a quirky anecdote that is inconsequential. I didn't feel it necessary to track down evidence or disprove something that is ultimately uh, unimportant. A fair amount of links provided in the index of this book are dead. I can't, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I can blame him. I can't really blame him because the book is, you know, a decade old. But It's been a minute. He could have taken much more care to make sure that uh, his sources were able to be tracked down in the future. I think he was just trying to hopefully overwhelm people with so many they wouldn't check. Without question, he did that. Yes, without a question. This should have had maybe 100 citations, not almost 700. He was just trying to play the numbers. Well, let's get to it. The first citation, quote, one of these cycles is the classic 2160-year age of the Zodiac. As we will see, the most significant events in Roman history during the age of Aries reappear in quite similar fashion during the age of Pisces, 2160 years later. 
in America. French scholar Michel Helmer and Francois Mason revealed this great hidden truth beginning in 1958, and I discovered their work only through pure synchronicity. He, uh, back to David being bad at writing books, we're going to start this by talking about the cycle shit, mm-hmm. and then we're going to completely abandon that until the next episode, and then we'll circle back to it at the end. Right. So instead of including all the information in one place, he inconveniently separates it so you can't keep track of it. Excellent. David is making the claim here that the most significant events in world history are not random. They're actually repeating again and again in very precise cycles of time. For this claim, he cites chapter six of a book called The End of Our Century by Francois Mason, which is a French book that was published in 1979 and was eventually translated into English. But they couldn't find a publisher, and it was actually David himself who ended up editing and publishing the book on the Internet in 2001. I could not find any information about Francois' credentials, but it is interesting to me that the book only exists in its readable English form due to David. That's not to say he did anything untoward or nefarious with the translation, but it's probably important to keep in mind that this is basically another way of David citing himself. Right, right. In this chapter, Francois makes the claim that this knowledge of cycles comes from Thales of Miletus, who was one of the Greeks' first mathematicians. He was around 600 B.C. He was a uh, teacher of Pythagoras. I should say Thales was a real guy and was actually influential in mathematics, so he's not just a complete crackpot. I should also say that, of course, he wasn't right about everything. He also had theories like the, uh, quote, Earth must be a flat disk or that the Earth is a mound of land and dirt which is floating in an expanse of water. That is to say, just because a man who is uh, incredibly capable in certain areas says something, it does not necessarily make it true. The cycle referenced in this book is named the Sirius Cycle, which is the theory that all celestial and terrestrial events repeat themselves in the exact same order every 1,461 years. In researching this, I found it's also called the Sothic Cycle. The idea here is the cycle is 365.25 days, and that the start of each year coincides with the heliacal rising of the star of Sirius. This is also what we use now, but we uh, insert a leap day to deal with the issues. Uh Criticisms of the cycle include that it is a bit imprecise and created some issues with historians not being able to precisely note dates and having instead to hazard a best guess based on other clues. More important to me is outside the book, David cites, I couldn't find any valid source that indicates that this cycle shows us that celestial and terrestrial events repeat in a specific pattern. This book gets around uh, this by well, it's something David does himself. It uses a Weasley language, such as saying, quote, so events do repeat cyclically, but it is never the repeating of the same events, but more like an ascending spiral. The similar events manifest in an entirely new context, but their deep roots are identical. So if you're following that, the exact same events happen, except they're not the it, same at all. It's just different. Yeah, it's the okay. exact, yeah, it's really easy to understand. It's the right, exact right. same thing, except nothing about it is yeah. the same. What if they were the same, <laughs> but also not the same at all? Yeah, this, this of course, means nothing because vibes are not a suitable foundation upon which to make a claim. Um, oh, and- <laughs> oh, vibes aren't a good basis for factuality? And as with all theories such as this, I posed the question, why can no one predict the event's before they happen no one there's all these cycles but no one ever says this is going to happen next week they always wait until it's several years down the line and then they look back and they're like look how clear it was that this was uh, destined because david wasn't there that's true maybe maybe he'll start doing he could it. have saved everyone 
Next claim is that, oh God, Russian scientists. There's going to be a lot of yeah, Russian scientists. Yeah, he does love Russian science. The next claim is that Russian scientist Nikolai A. Morozov, quote, independently discovered other repeating patterns in history, such as precise correspondences between Hebrew kings in the Old Testament and Roman kings more than a thousand years later. It's a uh, similar story for this guy as it was for uh, Thales. But by all accounts, he was a brilliant uh, man in a number of fields, but he also had ideas like, quote, much of human history has been falsified. A man by the name of Dr. Anatoly Fomenko, who's another guy we're going to talk That's about. That's a sick name. We're going to be talking about him a lot, so everyone remember that name. He, uh, Fomenko... That sounds like the villain in a Bond movie. It also sounds so much like Flamingo, and the entire time I've yeah. been working on this, I just picture a Russian Flamingo <laughs> doing, <laughs> doing writings on cycles. Uh, he came up with something that expanded on Morozov's work. It's called the New Chronology, and the theory goes as follows. Quote, Fomenko believes that all recorded history has occurred since 800 A.D., with the vast majority happening since 1000 A.D., Fomenko and his adherents claim that the reason that our traditional chronology is too long is that later historians either accidentally or maliciously made so-called phantom copies of events and rulers, repeating them over and over again under new names. For example, he believes that the Peloponnesian Wars is just an earlier replication of the conflict between the Navarrese Company and the Duchess of Athens and Neopatris in the 14th century. All of our traditional history consists of, uh, consists of mistakes such as this. The same events repeated multiple times under different names. A, uh, another notable assertion that I think gives a better idea of what we're talking about here is he claims that Jesus Christ was also the Byzantine emperor Andronikos I. He also claims that the Bronze Age didn't exist, and his reasoning for that is bronze is harder to make than tin, which doesn't really make any sense to me, but that's the reason he gave. This dude was definitely hammered when he came up with this. It's such a what if What if all of history is bullshit? What if everybody lie? We just tell same story over and over. But even better than it just being bullshit, it actually did happen, and we just repeated the same story over and over and over again, I guess. Uh, as far as I gleaned from my reading, the way Fomenko proved his theory is that he would take a list of rulers from one place and compare it to a list of rulers from another place and note the similarities and in his mind those similarities prove it was true i like to imagine it's like ruler here he was gay he's gay no does not count you're not too far off this he, this emperor he gay too does not count uh where uh uh Oh, yes. I'm also, at this point, I kind of started to realize where David gets some of his very shoddy craftsmanship from. Because going and researching all the people he cites, they have similar work ethics to David. I mean, stealing from Russian scientists is a good call. No one's going to check them. Well, that's, uh, we'll get into that in the next episode. But yes, the sources are available, but I did have to, like, I had to have them translated. They, yeah. they are in Russian, but, you know. Who else is going to take the time to go and check that? This uh, Here's an excerpt from a guy named Jason Colavito who explains, he's a historian, explains the issues with Fomenko's attempt to align dates. Quote, He counts Senwelch of Wessex and Sussex as the first English king, and he says his reign is the British duplicate or reinterpretation of the Eastern Roman Theodosius the Great for no particular reason other than the 275-year shift in time that makes it match new chronology. 
but to make them equivalent, Fomenko can only use Sin Walter's reign over Wessex. Even then, his 25-year reign still does not match Theodosius's 16-year stay on the throne. Nevertheless, the error of more than 50% is still considered a parallel. His other parallels, even after a double reordering of Byzantine monarchs, they were themselves duplicated twice, you see, are still not very accurate. Beorthric ruled 16 years as equated to Justin I who ruled 9 years, an error of almost 78%. Fomenko links Athelbert to Justin II, an error of over 100%. He has to combine Zeno's two reigns over a period, but not totaling 17 years, to match English Cuthred's 17 years. By the way, David uh, overlooks all that to say that this is, quote, staggering and mysterious evidence. You know, David is very easily amazed. Well, I, uh, I mean, that's a very important quality of his. I guess when anyone says you're wrong and you just say, well, it's, you know, it, it works in mysterious ways. Yeah, no, it's staggering. <laughs> yes, and mysterious. Uh, By staggering, I mean, I don't really get it, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense. It's it kinda... sounds right. The next claim is based on the work of Dr. Sergei Lykin, a Russian fella, who conducted an experiment in 2008 where he tagged DNA molecules with a fluorescent color and then scattered those molecules in water, and then those molecules were able to assemble and find their matching base pair. That's that, you know, CTGA, all that shit you learn in biology. Right, right. David is trying to use this as some extraterrestrial occurrence, but in the research paper he cites, it quite literally says, quote, although it looks as if spooky action or telepathic recognition is going on, DNA operates under the laws of physics, not the supernatural. I guess maybe David didn't get to that part of the paper. Um, it then goes on to explain how electrical charges and the shapes of the molecules are what allow them to come together. Right. Uh, David completely rejects the electrochemical explanation <laughs> and says that, quote, other experiments clearly show that this effect cannot be electromagnetic. Gravity becomes the most likely answer with the existing energy fields known to modern science. Right. Uh, for this claim, he provides no evidence outside of him just saying that's not true it's gravity which doesn't make any sense i don't know how gravity has anything to do with this because it exists that's uh that's a good point that's it about does. it well it, it, to be fair that is by david's standards something actually existing is pretty good that's <laughs> true it is real <laughs> yeah uh, David then goes on to explain an experiment by Dr. Luke Montagnier that he says shows that, quote, DNA can be spontaneously formed out of hydrogen and oxygen molecules, nothing more. This would be gigantic news and world-changing if true, and other scientists were, of course, interested in examining the work. One of the first things to note is that the only journal to publish the research had... Dr. Luke Montagnier on the editorial board. Nice. Uh, some critiques of the paper include Gary Schuster from the Institute of Technology in Atlanta saying it was pathological science, which uh, basically means someone is being tricked into a conclusion by wishful thinking. Hell yeah. It's a, it's a nice way of saying someone's an idiot. <laughs> Paul Myers from the University of Minnesota Morris stated that uh, it was, quote, one of the more unprofessional write-ups I've ever run across. Luke Montagnier's work was based on the work of a scientist named Ben Veniste, who said the water memory can be transported through the internet. We talked about this a few episodes ago. This is the guy, he recorded a glass of water with its contents as a wave file, and then he emailed that wave file to another lab, and he had them play that wave file to their glass of water, and he said that that glass of water spontaneously generated the same contents. Which wouldn't it mean that it just made water? 
Uh, so he, I can't remember what he put in there, but he put some sort of uh, biological life in the water. Oh, he was okay. saying that that magically spawned. Right, right. Which, like, of course it didn't. Hell <laughs> of yeah. course, of course it didn't do that. Magic. Uh, with a K. Ben Veniste won an Ig Nobel Prize for this research. This is an award given for research that, quote, cannot or should not be reproduced. They should have a Razzies <laughs> every year for scientists. They do. They do. Oh, they do for yeah. the worst scientists in the world? Well, uh, I think we're going to get three separate people who've been awarded that prize mentioned in this book. Nice. <laughs> He's not going to mention that there are... Uh, Research won the award for, like, worst science of the year. Hell yeah. Gayest scientist of the year. The best analysis of Montaigne's work is from Philip Ball, who wrote in Chemistry, War, uh, Chemistry World that the work had never been replicated and that it had been, quote, ignored for good reason, namely that it's utterly implausible. Uh, now the next citation of the book was actually correct. So David is one for seven at this point. Hell yeah. He claims that interstellar dust is mostly composed of freeze-dried bacteria. That claim is supported by research that's easily accessible on Harvard's website and is co-signed by NASA. See how easy that is when something's actually true? It's uh, much easier One to out find. of seven is pretty good. It was better than I expected. That yeah. number is... It's not going to be anywhere close to that by the yeah. time we're done. But uh, the next two citations were also valid. So now we're, uh, we're three for nine. One is just a quote about uh, microbiology from a Wired article. And the other is a claim in that article about how bacteria have been observed growing inside nuclear reactors and feeding on nuclear radiation. This is true. And if you're interested, go research extremophiles to read about all kinds of bacteria that live in crazy environments. The next claim I take issue with is that, quote, in 1984... Russian scientist, uh, Dr. Peter Garyev, that's another name that's going to pop back up quite frequently. Dr. Peter Garyev discovered that when a DNA molecule was placed inside a tiny quartz container, it naturally absorbed every photon in the room. Now, uh, Word. yeah, again, that's one of the sentences that means nothing. Dr. Garyev. I think all these Russian scientists are just fucking piss hammered. They, uh, no, you don't understand. <laughs> it absorbed every photon in the room. For their sake, I hope that's the case. And we'll actually, in the next episode, we will explain, but that's just pounding not... vodka. Be like, no, you don't understand, comrade. All photons get absorbed. It was incredible. It's not too far off because basically I found out in reading all this that sometime in the 90s, Russia got like obsessed with magic and shit. Holy shit, Sergey, <laughs> Sergey, look at this. I wish we got obsessed with magic. None of our shit is cool. Uh, uh, I we squelched all the magic with a bureaucracy. Yeah, it's stamped out creativity. I feel like that's what the uh you know prohibition did it took the magic out of life what, uh, the, everyone sobered up and realized oh this shit sucks the last time and we'll get to that in uh, this as well the last time the u.s was really invested in all this shit was in the 1980s when they thought uh they thought china was like inventing telekinetics so they went undercover and tried to like discover that i mean could you imagine if the chinese got telekinesis before we do we'd all be fucked <laughs> yeah they would kill everyone well that's the funny part of that too is when you read the competing papers real both sides are just like well because the u.s is researching this shit we have to circular research yeah and then the u.s is like well china's doing it we so can't we let the chinese to. get us get us ahead of us and the chinese like we can't let the americans <laughs> get the telekinesis so uh they will make it a gay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the gay bomb. Alex Jones warned They're us gonna about. They're going to make us all gay if they get a telekinesis. 
Dr. Garyev, uh, he's an interesting case because he was actually published in valid journals up until about 2002. He went from being published in places like the Journal of Society of Optical Engineering to places like the Journal of Non-Locality and Remote Mental Interactions, which has published articles about Qigong being used to cure cancer and others about how quantum mechanics explains telepathy. That's pretty cool. Yeah, again, it'd be really cool if it was true. Well, it, look, it, the Chinese are getting, you know, they're trying. Dr. Garyev is uh, frequently cited by David, as I already mentioned, and we've talked about him before. He's the guy who said uh, that he could change frog embryos into salamanders with lasers that's pretty dope yeah in this case the source shoot the laser at it (laughs) (laughs) that's my problem with all this shit is it would be so fucking fun if any of this was true pokemon well can you imagine we would turn into a new pokemon we would all have fucking lasers we pointing them at our animals and shit but uh, alas it's not true i'm gonna turn a goat into a cow in this well he he actually what he does is turn into cow he turns a rat into a cat Wrong button. <laughs> I meant to hit this button. He's cut now. That, that button. <laughs> I forgot I had with the bone stick. Uh, that's a throwback. I haven't hit that one in a while. Uh, where where the fuck was I? I got lost. Uh, right, DNA absorbing photons. He he cites uh, for this claim. David cites a website titled emergentmind.org. And on that website, you are greeted with a blurb called online casino and the science of winning which hell yeah bro <laughs> which concludes with them saying quote if i've somehow sparked your interest the online casino reviews by casinoreviews.co.uk could be your first step in the risky yet so attractive world of online <laughs> wagers hell yeah uh needless to say language like that is atypical of academic institutions you know what's cool gambling also you know it's funny there's actually a second website in the second half of this that does the exact same thing so oh, i could see david being a gambler uh also so when you search for dr garyev's name on that website you get a page not found error he's dead i did i tracked down the paper david cites and didn't really find anything in that paper that actually supports the claim david made oh i don't believe david <laughs> actually reads any of these sources i think he just finds the word he's looking for yes and then he just sorts he just sources it and he's like yeah no i saw the word because in this case remember the claim was about uh, the dna absorbing all the photons though the word photon only appears in the references of the paper and the reference dr garyev cites himself so we're doing the thing again where yeah. it's just cyclical research where they, they just kind of send you on these click holes where you end up 40 different websites deep yeah. and no one ever explains anything. No, it's just a lot of dudes being like, no, it's true. Also, the link in Garyev's research, uh, resource portion also leads to a 403 error. Here's uh, an example of a little trick David uses to make his case seem more convincing. David states, quote, Dr. William Broad is one of a variety of scientists who have performed rigorous laboratory-controlled studies proving that mind-to-mind communication is very real and is repeatable in a scientific laboratory. Hell yeah. This sentence is footnoted with a citation, which most people would probably think 
that citation would back up the claim that Psych. David just made. <laughs> yeah, it does not do that. Instead, it is a uh, it's just a link to his faculty profile at Sophia University and says no such thing. Dr. Broad's uh, PhD is in experimental psychology, and it's important to note that Sophia University, where his position was formerly known as the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology, so it's more focused on spiritual uh, shit. Every time I hear experimental psychology, I just think of brainwashing. I, I mean, I think that's kind of what it was at yeah, a certain point. Yeah, I feel like that's all that is. He, uh, This guy was also noted, yeah, as a parapsychologist in some articles. So he, uh, this Dr. Broad, he also believed that paranormal things happened to him. One example is he walked into his office and he claims that a matchbook spontaneously combusted. Yeah, no, someone else <laughs> molested my secretary. Wow, this is a synchronicity. Listen to <laughs> He found no cause for the fire, but later realized he had been thinking of firing his secretary. Yeah, there it is. So he had thought about firing his secretary, which caused fire to spontaneously happen in his presence. Yeah, it was her fault. I didn't pass out with a cigarette. Now, back to that claim about proving mind-to-mind communication. I found a paper entitled Distant Intentionality and Healing uh, that assesses the evidence that he co-authored. The paper appears on PubMed with a disclaimer from PubMed saying that just because a paper appears on their website does not mean they endorse it. The paper also has a section called Evaluation Issues, which makes the case that just because we don't have the evidence now doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So they don't really have evidence. They're just right. like, hey, this is true. Just believe us, I Yeah, guess. look, take us for our word. The methodology of this paper, if I may be so bold, is dog shit. It's a meta-analysis of 17 different studies, but they all had dubious methods. For example, in one performed at the Mind Science Foundation, they would have two people in different rooms, and one was hooked up to a machine that would measure the electrical activity of the skin. The person not hooked up to the machine would sit in another room and at random intervals think about things that were designed to provoke either calming or exciting responses in the other individual. My issue with this is just because sometimes two things line up, that does not mean you can draw the conclusion that the two items are linked and that one influences the other. Additionally, Dr. Broad's co-author, Marilyn Schlitz, is listed as a co-author on another study titled Distant Healing Intention Therapies, an overview of scientific evidence. And in that paper, uh, it is stated that, quote, the evidence to date does not yet provide confidence in its clinical efficacy. So David's claim about mind-to-mind communication being proven and very repeatable is simply not true. Even the co-author of the paper that he cited disagrees with that claim. Quickly, though, uh, in fairness to David, the paper I just cited came out after Synchronicity Key had already been released. However, David still shouldn't have made that claim. If you're going to make the claim that fucking psychics exist, you kind of got to do better than that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he got to the end of the study. No, I don't. I I very realistically believe that he simply read the title and then cited it. Oh, sorry. I didn't actually read it. (laughs) Maybe he tried to do like, uh, you know, he tried to read it telepathically or something and the the wires got crossed. I tried to channel a PDF, but apparently (laughs) I couldn't do it. David then moves on to cite the fact that breakthroughs in different fields of study throughout time have occurred simultaneously with people developing these breakthroughs having no communication with others. Uh, He says this is further proof of this mind-to-mind communication. This is also not evidence, and he neglects to mention that the fact that uh, perhaps the reason the people in evolution or math came to similar conclusions at the same time is that they were working on the exact same problem and building on the same established evidence. 
This, right. is, this is like if I gave you a math problem that was two plus two and I had one that was two plus two, right. we would both answer four, but not because we're telepathic or psychic. That's just, that's the answer. That's the answer, yeah. So if you have all the same evidence and you reach the same answer, that's not telepathy. That's just the fucking answer. Yeah. The only like real good argument you have for that is pyramids. And uh, he, shockingly, not much pyramid talk in this book. Yeah. David uh, claims that a company called Syngenta, quote, discovered that existing plant seeds could be transformed into extinct varieties simply by zapping them with a weak electrostatic current. God, it'd be so cool if that was true, though. I, I know that's the problem. Oh, I'd be sick, dude. If David could prove 10% of this. Oh, it, now it's marijuana. If we if we could uh, make any plant weed or if we could hit our dog with a laser and turn yeah. it into a Tyrannosaurus Rex, if we had floating cars, all of that would be very cool. It'd be so sick. Sick. But the problem is it's not real. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's such just, a bummer. Uh, for this claim, David linked to an article called The Living Internet Part 2 by someone named Barbel Moore. And Barbel cites two people named Groznia Fazer and Franz Bludorf. There's going to be a lot of weird names in this, and I'm absolutely going to butcher them. So my apologies in advance. He doesn't cite anyone who's just named like a Tim it's look, always, look, it's their fault for having gobbledygook names. Yeah, they, I don't know what the fuck people expect. They've got too many consonants in their name. You yeah. Gotta, yeah, have a nice balance. Yeah, your language is retarded. To uh, tell you what kind of research level we're dealing with here, let's first look at part one of that same article. In the very beginning of that article, the authors claim that they can explain clairvoyance, spontaneous and remote acts of healing, self-healing, and the mind's influence on weather patterns. <laughs> Part two starts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's all make it's, it rain. It's all make just it rain. It's such junk. And and in that case, he carefully got rid of that part of the article to cite the part that seems less crazy. But well, he probably eventually sobered up and was like, ah, this was stupid. So part two of that article starts by explaining that remote healing is possible as long as the person doing the healing has a small sample from the body to be treated. It also explains that a doctor named Hartwood Mueller can communicate with people by speaking into gravitation waves. That dude sounds like a 1910s NF, uh, MLB MVP. Yeah, he was he was around with Babe Ruth yeah. and Hartmut Mueller. <laughs> he <laughs> sounds like a great pitcher from the 20s. Uh, so I don't know what speaking into gravity means. I've never heard of that before. Maybe it's a thing. I'm not familiar with it. Sounds like gay slang. So what this guy would do is he would call someone on the phone uh -huh. uh, so the public could listen, and then I guess he would unplug the phone mid-conversation mid and then claim he could keep talking to them by speaking into gravity. What a useless talent. <laughs> I know. It's, David, he... he it's he, just like playing telephone, like, but through a different medium. Like, okay, can you do anything important? Well, David, he <laughs> just cites, like, parlor tricks as yeah. science. Like, this is just some old-time David Blaine shit, and he's like, this guy's a brilliant scientist. It is hilarious to imagine a time when Nikola Tesla just would, like, turn on a light bulb and crowds would be shocked. Damn, that'd be so sick. Be like, just one light, and they're like, oh, what the fuck is this? All right, so anyways, that claim about the seeds, I, I, that's something else that's going to happen a lot here. David starts at one place, and we got to bounce to like 15 different locations before right, we, right. Can, we can track it down. Uh, they cite a patent for a device titled Improved Cultivation Technique that was filed in 1989 by a 
Russian company. The claim here is that using an electrostatic field, they can transmute a fern with 36 chromosomes into having 41 chromosomes. They, they give the fern down syndrome. It should be noted there is no experiment to prove this. It is literally just a patent, which as we know, patents do not require a working prototype. You just have to explain how it might work. Yeah, I don't think David actually understands that. that uh, he probably assumes that if you get a patent, it works, but... No, you just have to kind of have a vague idea of how it would work. We could probably skip this episode in the next episode and just put out one that says David doesn't understand that. <laughs> yeah. That's what this all boils down to is he does not understand what but he's saying. But that does prove he believes it. He just doesn't understand it. He's, as we said before, he's a very gullible boy. Yeah. Well, he wants to believe. Yeah. And so do I. It's just you, you got to do a little better than this. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. So the, there's just the patent. I went looking for any research that could confirm this and shockingly, I could not find any. I did find one paper that talked about using electrostatic energy to sort chromosomes, but it said nothing about the spontaneous generation of additional chromosomes. Next, uh, Next is one of my favorite claims that David likes to repeat. This is that uh, Italian scientist Pierre Luigi Iguina. A pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> so, pedophile energetically transformed a living apricot tree into an apple tree. Hell yeah actually causing the fruits on the branches to metamorphose from apricots to apples in only 16 days. See, this is why I just assume like they were drunk. And fucking walked up to one of their new tr apple trees and was like, what the fuck? Wasn't yeah. this something else yesterday? Yeah, he just got turned around. Yeah, and it's like, oh, no, is. he was just hammered and <laughs> thought he had done magic. Uh, so in addition to the apple claim, yeah, here it is. Agina also zapped a rat with DNA wave information from a cat. And this caused the rat to grow a cat-like tail in four days. He's cat now. Uh, the proof provided for this is an Epic Times article from 2008. The article offers no proof they did either of those things. It just says he did it, which is going to be a common <laughs> theme throughout this book. Uh, <laughs> I mean... That'd be so funny to be walking around with a cat and be like, used to be rat. Well, it's, it's actually even funnier than that because what, what he claims is that he was able to turn the rat into a cat, but it magically transformed back into a rat before anyone else could witness it. Oh, it was only a cat temporarily. Yeah, you don't understand. He performed the miracle, just no one else can see it. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. That happens a lot. Uh, so yeah, the article offers no proof. Pierre is cited on a number of esoteric and woo-woo type websites, but no one links to proof of him performing what would be miracles. Uh, the best I could find was a website where a guy translated Pierre's book into English, and in Pierre's own book, there is no evidence of him accomplishing this feat. It just, again, says he did it. Nice. Um, it does add that, oh, yeah, this is why I was just saying, the rat-turned-cat-tail began to retransform into a rat-tail after a few days. It's incredibly convenient that the guy making the claim is the only one to witness the miracle. Yeah, yeah. It would have been super easy to, you know, take a picture or just invite another guy to look at it. There's so yeah. many ways you could have confirmed it and he did none of them. I mean, if I had done that, I would, you know, have a plan to get proof. That's kind of the most important part when doing research is being able yeah. to prove what you say happens it's much actually e happens. It's much easier to brag about it if you have pictures. Along uh, those lines, the next claim is a Korean scientist named Dr. Jang Kang Gang. Hell yeah. Dr. Gang 
gang ice cream so good. He received a patent for a device that could transform eggs inside a hen into the eggs of a duck. He also claims that 80% of the eggs he did this to hatched as half-duck, half-chicken hybrids. Eat duck now. Eat <laughs> duck now. He's cut now. I shoot with laser. Eat duck now. So the only article I could find that wasn't just citing David's work is one co-written by who else but Dr. Peter Gary. I like to imagine they do this just for some fucked-up dish. Uh, yeah, They're just that? eating these fucking little chicken... Half ducks, half chickens alive or something. That Filipino like gooey duck thing yeah. where they just eat a, a hif, uh, chicken They're literally, they're changing their DNA just so they can have a new delicacy. So the article that uh, Peter Garyev was part of is titled, We are not still able to successfully treat cancer in HIV? Question mark. <laughs> Which I don't know why they call it I mean, that. look, if you can turn a duck in, or a chicken into a duck, you can't cure cancer. Well, yeah, if you can do that, why can't you change uh, tumors into Yeah, into can you change cat? me into someone not dying? He's cut now. Uh, that's the only <laughs> thing you can do. You can only make oh, cats. Oh, no, I can only turn everything into cat. Uh, I can turn your tumor into cat. Yeah, you, want, you want cat instead of tumor? Uh, so following the trend, this paper does not actually talk about any experiments or provide any evidence that this has ever occurred. It just says it happened. It does provide a link to uh, its evidence, which is the same thing that David cited. It leads to a PowerPoint presentation on silo.tips. Interestingly, this PowerPoint seems to cover a lot of points David covers. It even cites the exact same doctors that David cites. Almost like everyone in this space is just copying other people's work without fact-checking any of it. So three people cited the exact same work and the exact same page numbers, but no one linked to the work. I found a number of other websites that cite the exact same article and page numbers, but the work is from 1993 and no one seems to have an actual copy of it. So if uh, anyone has evidence that uh, Korean scientist Jang Gang Gang has a magic laser, please send that article to me. <laughs> what if that's all it does, though? Wait, it just, just it only turns a chicken into a duck. That'd still be a hell of a trick. It's pretty cool, but then like, okay, but what do I do with that? Yeah, not terribly useful, but uh, I'm sure we could find a use for it. I guess so. I just the idea of useless superpowers always cracks me up. Which is kind of David's whole thing. All these would be useless yeah, superpowers. Just pointless miracles is a funny thing to pitch. Levitation and then transmuting animals into different animals. Some yeah. Mostly more annoying animals. Yeah, not more delicious ones, I would argue. So from here, David got on a hot streak and he cited some articles about the fossil record and what it may mean. Where he gets off track again is when he says stuff like, quote, these cyclical events may be triggered by galactic energy waves that reprogram DNA. Yeah, but you can't prove that's not true. Well, looking for evidence on this claim leads to uh, only articles citing the DNA phantom effect, which was developed by... You guessed it, Dr. Peter Gary of <laughs> the KGB. Uh, I did find one other paper that talks about this, and it is by Linda Gabois, who in the top of her paper says she is a spiritual scientist. That's is, pretty cool. You're like, no, I'm spiritually a PhD. Yeah, no, I went to spiritual <laughs> science school. Oh, I don't have a PhD, but spiritually, I am a doctor. So that's the end of chapter one. Now we're on to chapter two, cycles of history and... What else but the law of one? Nice.
David makes some pretty astonishing claims about meditation here, including that when enough people meditated in one area, it reduced terrorism. Yeah, David, David's cure. He, he like raised the vibes of area. area. That's why he does his meditations. Yeah, it's to stop terrorism from happening. Yeah, he's saving the world because everyone's meditating with so him. So th- this is what that uh, study said. And for this, he did actually mention a study that I was able to find. Quote, this study tested the hypothesis that group practice of the transcendental meditation and TMC City One programs by approximately the square root of 1% of the world's population globally reduces terrorism and international conflict. For three periods during 1983 to 1985, ranging from 8 to 11 days, practitioners of these programs assembled in one place to practice in a group. Data on the numbers of casualties and fatalities due to terrorism were obtained from the RAND Corporation and grouped as five-day aggregates forming a single time series spanning the three assemblies. Data on international conflict were generated from date-blind ratings of news events in the New York Times and London Times to give comparable blocks for time series analysis before, during, and after each of the assemblies. Time series intervention analysis used the Akaiki information criterion to objectively define optimal noise models. The analysis found a 72% drop in terrorism and an average drop of 32% in international conflict during the assemblies. These results are consistent with similar effects of much smaller assemblies on local populations and suggest that long-term implementation of groups could have a major impact on terrorism and international conflict. This is about as clear a case of correlation does not equal causation as you're going to get. Right. Just because two things line up, it does not mean they are at all related to each other. There could have been a lot of other factors that prevented terrorism outside of some fucking hippies meditating. No, not and to David. 72% is a huge reduction in terrorism. David, hey, did it? were there 9-11s on those days? That's a good point. There were mm-hmm. no 9-11s during meditation. It's 72% less terrorism than 9-11. So uh, that said, these these claims don't really bother me because it's not like fucking meditation hurts anyone. Um, I... I meditate myself i just don't think when i do it it prevents terrorism from happening unless i'm about to commit a terror attack that's true no uh, yeah maybe what they didn't include is it was isis meditating yeah. if <laughs> so, i meditate maybe i won't you know go hijack a plane the next claim in this book comes from dr james spottiswood who david Hell says yeah quote, conducted a meta-analysis of 20 years' worth of laboratory experiments into anomalous cognition or extrasensory perception and found that our psychic abilities increased by over 400% when our position on Earth reached a particular alignment with the center of the galaxy, which culminated at 1330 local sidereal time. Uh, So first things first, this Dr. Spottiswood guy is like an actual scientist. He is like a real physicist. Right. And he has a paper titled Testing for Questionable Research Practices in Meta-Analysis, an Example from Experimental Parapsychology. So credit where credit's due. Like this guy is aware that parapsychology does garbage research. He's trying Mm -hmm. to like do something about it. Uh, also, a tip for David in the future, please just link the fucking paper instead of linking to nine different articles that don't have the paper in it. Oh, he didn't want to pay for it. Well, this uh, that probably is the case, but <laughs> the thing is here, this he should have linked this paper because this guy's not a fucking crackpot. Um, so while he's researching really far out there shit, he does ground it in reality. And this paper is actually interesting and written like an actual paper, not a random uh Article. It's not a blog? Yeah, it's not on emergent-mind.org. <laughs> We're talking about gambling. 
So in this paper, he tries to connect what he calls anomalous cognition, which is his way of saying ESP, with sidereal time, which is time reckoned from the motion of the Earth relative to distant stars. The biggest problem uh, with this, as I mentioned, it's a meta-analysis. So he's analyzing research done by other individuals in the paranormal research side of things. So he kind of falls victim to having to use information from researchers like Hal Putoff. Uh, Hal Putoff is the guy who studied Yuri Geller and right, said he right. was a real psychic. So right. not, not the best reputation. Um, so I, I think this guy's pursuit is relatively genuine. He just suffers from having poor input data. He's just retarded. That said, the the math in this paper is way outside of my realm of understanding, so I have no ability to check the methodology. Yeah, we need a Chinese for that. But that also means David probably does not possess the ability to fact-check the paper he cited. I mean, I think David's barely, you know, functional math-wise. I think he's he can read. Uh, but I don't of. think he's good with numbers. Well, he can he can read. I'm not sure. Uh, that's he why I think that's why he's, it. I think he, that's why he's in debt. Well, he just understands things in his own way. <laughs> that's a very generous <laughs> way to put it. He he understand he comprehends in the way that's most beneficial to him. Yeah, and kind of dismisses the truth. You know, and he's not doing it maliciously. That's just how he operates. He's it's just, a great way to do it. He's just very dumb. It's yeah. not his fault. He's, he's just a stupid man. He's a dumb man yeah. who thinks he's smarter than he is, okay? Uh, so from there, we go to murder and the moon cycle. Oh, wait, quickly, before I get off of that. So uh, that paper does actually say what David said it does, but it's very important to note that Dr. Spottiswood doesn't actually make any conclusions from this. Right. He, he simply presents the information and says there needs, uh, there needs to be like a lot more research. But David kind of dismisses that part again to be like, hey, we're all good. It's proven. We, yeah. No, he said it's real. Yep. Close up shop. No further information necessary. No, he said the thing. Now we get to murder in the moon. Nice. Uh, David cites a paper by Arnold Lieber from 1978 that found homicides and aggravated assaults demonstrate statistically significant clustering of cases around the full moon. He found this by cross-checking crime data from Dade County, Florida against the lunar cycle. He further follows this up by citing data from the Toledo Blade and the British police that showed similar results. It'd be funny if you like the full moon and uh, black areas. I, I mean, that's kind of what it was. Yeah, there is advanced <laughs> crime in those two specific instances. The results are obviously interesting, so other people attempted to replicate this, but they did not achieve the same results, which is, again, going to be a reoccurring theme here, is no one's able to replicate these fantastic studies. Yeah, oh, you mean they did, They weren't able to reduce crime on the full moon in Compton? Well, so, quote, uh, the Vallejo police official, meanwhile, pulled together his agency's crime data from January 2014 through May 2018. He researched phases of the moon for each crime event and sent BetaGov his data for analysis. According to the analysis, the data demonstrates that there's no association between crime events and the full moon. In Vallejo, California, at least, people don't commit more crimes when there is a full moon. Other police departments heard about this analysis and were curious whether there was evidence for the lunar hypothesis in their own data. To make sure North America was represented, BetaGov uh, teamed up, teed up replication studies with Ontario police and the Irapuato Citizen Safety Secretary at Mexico. The team merged moon phase data into their calls for service and crime data. What was found? Again, nothing. Uh, I mean, in David's defense, 
the true crime people have tried to tie the full moons to serial killers for quite a while. Yeah, it's it's been one for some of those... reason people see full moons and they're like, I bet other people are committing crime. Well, and the reason I bet there's people killing people right now because of this moon. Well, and the reason they do shit like that is because the initial studies that showed some correlation. That's how I know we're all still barbarians at heart because we see full moon. We're like people probably killing each other. Yeah, we're superstitious natives. Yeah, we, we want to believe there's some sort of yeah. superstition at uh, at play here. I bet. And there's probably like one dude who actually did that and ever, ever since then they're just like oh fuck yeah one guy probably just committed like 10 crimes and fucked yeah. up the stats he just liked to get drunk at the end of the month which was the full yeah. moon <laughs> and then he killed prostitutes so you know take all these studies for what it's worth a few studies showed a correlation a few didn't i take this more as a sign that given a random distribution of things occasionally two factors will line up again it's a correlation causation thing that just because it happened in one study it didn't happen in the you other know, ones. Look, maybe criminals are just autistic about the moon. Well, maybe there's something specific about the uh, whatever it was, the, the Canadian moon or the Dade County, Florida moon that make people go crazy that the Canadian moon doesn't have. Well, full moons and, uh, you know, lower class neighborhoods with a certain type of people. Well, as I was saying, if you uh, if this effect was truly legitimate, you'd probably expect it to be present everywhere. They and don't have just... as many full moons in Wisconsin. <laughs> Let's get into some astrology. Uh, Michael, God, this last name, Gaquilin, analyzed the astrology of thousands of notable historical figures and found that certain types of people were more apt to be born with planets and key positions. He pioneered the idea of the Mars effect, in which he stated that sports champions and military personnel are, quote, likely to have Mars appear just above the eastern horizon at their time of birth. And should be white. Which is known <laughs> as their rising point or directly overhead. Uh, it They're appeared, not I, black. <laughs> well, all these studies did take place about that time, so you might not be wrong. Probably using astrology to promote white supremacy. Well, it was just a bunch of people who couldn't be blatantly racist anymore. <laughs> so they're like, how do we hide out the no, moon? Mars is in a weird phase right now. That's why you're worth three-fifths a person. Yeah, Mars was rising. That's why you're good yeah. at sports. <laughs> that's that's, that's why. why LeBron is a thing. So it appears we're establishing a bit of a pattern here and that this data does exist, but it has not been replicated. David claims it's been replicated, but the other study in which it was replicated had the same guy in control of the data stat, uh, set. So the only guy who's been able to find this information is the guy David cites. No one else has done it. Uh, further inability to replicate led to the conclusion that Michael arrived at his answers due to selection bias in which he favored champions who were born in key sectors of Mars and just rejected those that didn't match his theory. Michael had also failed to find the Mars effect in the population after 1950, no worries, though, because David says, quote, no skeptics have been able to debunk his findings. Well, that proves it. Yep. As long as David says it, that makes it so. Well, as long as no one's debunked it, then that's probably right. Why not? It's it's sort of an unfalsifiable claim because, of course, people with specific skills are going to be born at particular times of the year. Like, of course, sometimes an athlete will be born at a certain time or, or some specific. I mean, if you take enough numbers, you'll probably get all the answers. There's, you know, several billion people on the yeah, earth. There's Odds a lot of us. One or two of them at least are going to yeah. have that. Distribution. Uh, wise i'm pretty sure it evens out this section contains this lovely bit of irony in which david states quote the shame of having passionately believed something that turns out to be incorrect can almost be impossible to face particularly if you've paid tens of thousands of dollars and worked for many years to acquire that knowledge however attacking new discoveries is the exact opposite of true scientific inquiry 
said with no self-reflection Ooh. whatsoever as Ouch. he as he spends millions of dollars on other yeah. cars. Yeah, that that mindset would bite him in the end. Yeah, maybe he should read his own book. Yeah, <laughs> and, fuck. Uh, our next contestant, Alexander Tchaikovsky, conclusively demonstrated that sunspot cycles have powerful effect on the ebb and flow of civilization. Interestingly enough, David makes this claim, but the citation is not of Alexander. It's of a website named carolmore.net. Hell yeah, uh, white women. Yeah, we can give this one a maybe. Like, things sort of line up. A guy named Edward Dewey questioned uh, Tchaikovsky's theory because in Tchaikovsky's data, the sunspot cycle... I lagged about a year ahead of his excitability index. This is another case where like things kind of line up, but you could probably make anything line up with the way they set up the the study. I'm sure those Russian scientists know how to goose the numbers. Yeah, with a, they turn a chicken into a goose. Yeah, exactly. He's cut now. Chapter three. What is synchronicity? There's not a lot to go over in this chapter because there's not many solid claims. I will say it's odd to see David acknowledge at points that some people might view his takes on synchronicity as, quote, unreasonable, ridiculous, and foolish. He seemed to have a much better grasp of how to reel in reasonable folks during this time period. He wasn't, Well, I mean, he hadn't gone clinically insane. He realized he was saying insane shit, but I think at least a part of him recognized like, hey, this sounds pretty wild. So, Well, he wasn't always mentally ill. He was just a crazy person. No, he really went kooky. Yeah, no, <laughs> like he got people need to understand like he got unwell. He's sick. Also, I, I know I said I wasn't going to just kind of pull sections out on com and comment on them. But this, this chapter, uh, he tells the story of how he was overweight and bullied a, a classic when he retells yes. many times. Yes. But in this, he includes the detail that he lost 85 pounds by doing nothing but drinking one can of V8 a day and only water afterwards. That's uh, that's not a diet. That's an eating disorder. Yeah. Uh, another thing. David, oh, I, I, I dropped a bunch of weight by starving myself. Yeah. It turns out if you stop eating, you lose yeah. a bunch of weight. Did you know this? how it works i didn't so this uh this is another thing david and i can commiserate over except i lost my weight by not eating because i was doing cocaine and ecstasy yeah which a lot more fun than v8 it's way more fun than fucking tomato juice yeah (laughs) i've had tomato juice and i've done cocaine i gotta say i prefer the cocaine yeah i hate tomato juice yeah i love cocaine (laughs) david claims that we can uh beam thoughts into other people's heads which nice maybe you should beam some sane thoughts into his own noggin in that case. Why is no one hearing me? (laughs) God damn it, no one will respond. (laughs) Quote, I would discover that in 1973, Dr. Montague Ullman and Dr. Stanley Krippner published a comprehensive paper revealing that ordinary people could concentrate on specific images while awake and send them to people who were dreaming. The dreamers then experienced symbols and events in their uh, dreams that were directly related to the sender's message. This fascinating effect was repeated with over 100 participants. For this, David cites a book called Dream Telepathy, Experiments in Nocturnal Extrasensory Perception that uh, was originally published in 73 and got reprinted in 2003. Uh First, the good news. I did find another study that... uh, Kind, kind of verifies what he says. Uh, this this study, it's not from a great source, though. Uh, but I'm, I'm doing this to be fair to David. I, I don't want to just constant... Well, I do my shit on him the whole time. But I'm trying to be fair, where if I can find something that supports his claim, I included that, Look, too. occasionally he wasn't lying. If you have 684 things, some of them are yeah. going to be right. 
Uh, so this study said, uh, quote, we conclude that the dream ESP paradigm in parapsychology is worthy of continued investigation, but we recommend design improvements. So that's one take on it. But uh, now for the bad news, when I found more credible sources, uh, the research has never been replicated. Again, a recurring theme here. There's a paper from 1971 titled Telepathy in Dreams, a Failure to Replic uh, Replicate. In that study, they state, an attempt was made to replicate the procedures and findings of a previous dream telepathy study conducted at Mamamide's dream laboratory. In that study, S had, on each of eight laboratory sessions, placed the true target in the upper half of his rankings for dream correspondence of eight potential targets. S was restudied for eight nights in a different laboratory. E signaled an acoustically isolated agent at the onset of S's REM periods to concentrate on target, uh, in this case it was a magazine illustration, uh -huh. randomly selected from the target pool of eight. S's dreams were collected on awakening from these REM periods. On the following morning, S was given a duplicate target pool and asked to rank the eight pictures for the correspondence to his dream reports of the night. Two additional judges were given the same task, working both without and with S's associations to his dreams. Neither S nor the judges were able to exceed chance values in matching targets with nocturnal dream production. So it's basically, it's just chance. Right, right, right. If, if you give someone four options they're going to get it right about 25% of the time, which is what happened here. Right. Additionally, there was a paper by Edward Clemmer from 1986 titled Not-So-Anomalous Observations Question ESP in Dreams. In this paper, it is stated, quote, Indeed, there are striking parallels of Mamanides' research to other parapsychological studies. The comparison, however, would lead one to regard Mamanides' research with caution. Child de-emphasized the statistical excess of hits over misses, but he appealed to the fact that there is some systematic, that is, non-random source of anomalous resemblance of dreams to targets. The source, however, need not be anomalous. In the Pierce-Pratt experiments, the excess of hits over misses was described by a bimodal distribution. The non-random distribution suggested a non-anomalous human intervention, most likely fraud. Right. Yeah, so nice. it was, you know, dude did it was a fraud. Well, look, why does that, does that mean he's wrong? Of course not. Yeah. Of course not. Just because the guy lied, does that mean yeah. he's wrong? Okay, they, they got him guilty of fraud. Oh, that means he's <laughs> a liar now. Now, chapter four, understanding the sociopath. I hadn't realized the sociopath thing was a repeat for David. I thought that was at least new when he started talking about that recently. Turns out no, he's been talking no. about it the, the whole time. David hasn't come up with a new set in quite a while outside of going insane. Yeah, I mean, this is from 2013 or whatever, and it's the same shit he was doing a few weeks ago. Yeah. He really, he wrote one book and then just copy-pasted for a decade yeah. straight. Yeah, oh, he wrote the Bible and he just he just repeats it. Which is a really cool move. Yeah. Kudos to him to be able to write one book he and then stretch out it out. Dude, he figured out a hack. He's like, yeah. I can write five books. Yeah, that'd be like us just doing a clip episode and saying it's a yeah. new episode, but we're just replaying shit we said in the past. Yeah. David uh, makes the claim that he was given, quote, fascinating inside information by the Alliance, much of which could be proven. First of all, it's very funny to specify that you can actually prove your evidence is real. <laughs> that's, that's not typically necessary to, uh, like, this time it's actually real. 
Secondly, this inside information is what he used to write his financial tyranny article. This ties into that trillion-dollar lawsuit to end financial tyranny him right. and Benjamin Phil, uh, Fulford were part of. Well, I mean, it was a good try. Yeah. David doesn't directly say who these top insiders are. He by name mentions Kerry Cassidy and Benjamin Fulford, not individuals I consider terribly credible. Additionally, he cites credible high-level Asian insider. Hell yeah. And based on the fact that Benjamin Fulford lives in Japan and is mentioned in the article, I'm going to make the guess that this top-level insider is the same top-level insider Benjamin uses. For those unfamiliar, Shodui uh, Daikaku, as Benjamin claims, is the head is of a the... sick <laughs> dude. ...is the head of the White Dragon Society, which, yeah. which is an organization in which Shodui <laughs> apparently commands all of the world's martial artists and ninjas. Uh, uh, so everyone can defy, decide for the themselves how believable and he has that like sounds. 20 kids a ton of fucking kids yeah, yeah. he rules chodoween loves ninjas and hates condoms i hate a condom <laughs> Uh, I don't think I need to say this, but I'll say it anyways. David and Benjamin did not end financial tyranny, and Chodoween's army of ninjas, to the best of my knowledge, have not overthrown the deep state. Well, you don't know that. It, well, I'm not aware. It's possible <laughs> it happened. Yeah, we are working on it. <laughs> uh, it takes a long time. It takes longer than I had thought. <laughs> We need more money. <laughs> Please. David, fuck away all the money on flying cars. He fuck away. Ninja. I should not have invested. It's a, it. All these people are basically just doing what a child would do. It's like, I want flying cars. It's like, I want an army of ninjas. Yeah. I want a ninja army. It's all just childish yeah. pursuits. Men never really grow up. Uh, David talks about the suppression of free energy, but doesn't link to anything that presents evidence of this. He cites a website called padrack.com. The site talks about how it thinks these devices exist, but have been suppressed. I'd like to point out that the linked article is written in 1997, and here we are 25 plus years later, and somehow no one has been able to replicate these devices or provide evidence. Surely someone would have been able to replicate the patented devices and provide evidence if it was real. You would think one guy with a lot of money would do it. I mean, you got the, uh, who's the, the dude who runs Robert Bigelow. Right. He's a millionaire. He's got a lot of money to throw at this shit. David was a millionaire. David threw all his money at it. Yeah. And despite everyone spending a lot of money trying to replicate it, no one has managed to do it. You know, these things take time. The, uh, there's a section here where David is talking about sociopathic behavior and he uses the Stanford prison experiment as the cornerstone of his argument. I'm kind of going to let him slide uh, on this one because a lot of people have used this experiment over the years, but it has since been debunked. The following is from a 2019 paper by Thibault Le Teixeira titled Debunking the Stanford Prison Experiment. Quote, Data collected from a thorough investigation of the SPE, Stanford Prison Experiment, archives and interviews with 15 of the participants in the experiment further question the study's scientific merit. These data are not only supportive of previous criticisms of the SPE, such as the presence of demand characteristics, but provide new criticisms of the SPE based on heretofore unknown information. These new criticisms include the biased and incomplete collection of data, the extent to which the SPE drew on prison experiment devised and conducted by students in one of Zimbardo's classes three months earlier. Zimbardo was the the main scientist Mm -hmm. in the first one. Right, right. The fact that the guards received precise instructions regarding the treatment of the prisoners, the fact that the guards were not told they were subjects, and the fact that participants were almost never completely immersed in the situation. 
So the the typical kind of line of thought for when they say the Stanford prison experiments proved people were sociopathic is the original claim was the people who were participating as guards weren't mm-hmm. told what to do and they all just kind of became psychotic and started beating prisoners and shit. That's way cooler that they all just happened to decide to just torture the prisoners. Well, that's the part that's not true. They were told by Zimbardo to do that, oh. which kind of ruins the point of yeah. the study when when you're trying to observe how people act and then yeah. you tell them exactly how to act. Yeah, it's way cooler when they actually all just decide to start torturing. The Hamas is in all of us. He, uh, David next cites the Milgram experiment. The experiment, quote, measured the willingness of study participants, 40 men in the age range of 20 to 50 from a diverse range of occupations with varying levels of education to obey an authority figure who instructed them to perform acts conflicting with their personal conscience. This is the experiment where they had a fake button set up where the participant in the experiment would think they were shocking someone in, right, a, in right. another room. But in reality, there wasn't a person being shocked in the other room. It was just someone acting like they were being uh, hurt. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and, no. And then there was a doctor, in uh, a doctor, a guy in a lab coat in the room with the button. And the only thing he would say is like, please continue the experiment. It's important you continue the experiment. Oh, oh whoever's doing this is a bad person. <laughs> oh, oh. So, I would never push the button. Oh, oh. <laughs> Again, I won't give uh, give David too much grief for this uh, because for a long time it was considered one of the most important and interesting studies in psychology. Yeah. More yeah. more recently, however, I guess I should give David a harder time for this, seeing as his actual degree is in this area of research, so he should be able to read these papers and understand them theoretically, and yet he doesn't. Maybe, so. well, once again, people get a degree and they think, oh, now I'm smart. Yeah, now now I'm uh, immune to mistakes. Yeah, no, Turns you out, no. paid for a piece of paper. You're still a dummy. So more recently, there have been some doubts raised about the results the experiment produced. There was a paper from 2019 titled Credibility and Incredulity in Milgram's Obedience Experiments, a Reanalysis of an Unpublished Test. In this paper, they pr- uh, proposed that the reason the original experiment had so many people willing to shock someone to death is because they saw through the experiment and didn't actually believe they were shocking someone to death. This uh, built upon a paper by Hollander and Turowitz from 2017 where they went over the archival footage in which participants were interviewed. The idea... That's funny to be like, dude, no one's going to actually die. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great. If they they really were killing people, that'd be the greatest reason. (laughs) Oh, that'd be so funny. So the, uh, the idea here in going over the experiment again is that they found the people who continued to shock people were the most likely to say that they knew it was an experiment, no one was being heard, whereas the people who stopped doing the shocking in the interviews were more likely to say they actually thought someone was being hurt. Mm. So this doesn't fully debunk this experiment in the same way the Stanford Prison Experiment was debunked, but it does uh, make it seem likely that a wider variety of explanations is available to address why the subjects behaved as they did, other than them just being sociopathic monsters. Right, right, right. There's a claim in here that David makes about a guy named Dr. A.B. Berlikov, who is another Russian scientist. Hell yeah. He he said he did experiments where he put mature fish eggs next to younger fish eggs, and the mature ones, quote, literally pulled the health right out of the younger eggs. Word. (laughs) Yeah. The link in the notes section for this, 
doesn't work. And I couldn't find his research anywhere. There are articles in the hippie health and wellness space citing his works, but his works are nowhere to be found. So to be generous, I'll say that maybe this is true. However, in general, when someone makes a claim such as this, it's usually best to provide the research and not someone else's commentary on the research. Yeah, I think you can always be skeptical of Russian scientists. It's also uh, really the most simple tool you can use is if you read something and go, Wow, that's crazy. Why haven't I heard of that? Oh, communism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they hid it all. It makes uh, no sense that a discovery like this would disappear and no one would ever try to replicate it. It just doesn't. It, we're not trying to hide the, the secret fish science from the masses, I don't think. Oh, well, this can't get out. The Illuminati can't let people have the fish gun. No, we can't be trusted with the fish egg science. Yeah. It's too. It's too powerful. We jump back to spiritual healings with the work of Dr. Daniel Benor, who did a meta-analysis of 191 studies on spiritual healing, or at least so says David. I could not find that paper. Also, it's important to remember why science is generally a sport of consensus. You can find one scientist to say just about anything. Like back in the day when tobacco companies hired, uh, hired scientists to say smoking was healthy, especially for pregnant women. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, science was so much cooler Hell back yeah. then, where they just... They would just lie. Yeah. And it killed people. They figured they out care. the real hack to science. Like, oh, just make it up. Yeah. Like gasoline doesn't do any polluting and cigarettes are healthy. Yeah. It's all that. No, well, actually, cigarettes are good for the baby in, in the womb. I, I, there's an old Lucky Strike commercial I used to hear when I listened to my old time radio. And they, it was like a man on the street bit where they were just in a hotel giving pregnant women cigarettes. Oh, hey there, doll. You want to <laughs> smoke a Lucky Strike? Well, that was exactly it. And they'd be like, I inhale the smoke and let it exhale through your nose. <laughs> you feel how smooth that is? It's good for the baby. <laughs> feel how smooth that is there, baby? That's good for your baby. Yeah, that's that's what science used to do is give pregnant yeah. women cigarettes. <laughs> Don't you feel better? Um, the smoke actually cures the baby from moving around. It, it cures colic. Just because one guy says it does not make it so. As best I can tell what David speaks on spiritual healing, he's talking about energy medicine, stuff like Reiki. If I were to give my opinion on this, I would say that I do believe it's possible for this stuff to work in the same way it's possible for a placebo to work. Meaning if someone is using energy healing on you and you truly believe energy healing works, I think there's going to be some measurable effect. That said, let's look at the actual evidence for energy healing, and I'll give you an example of how sometimes junk science slips past the filter. There was an article published in Global Advances in Health and Medicine in 2019 titled Energy Medicine, Current Status and Future Perspectives. That article used a lot of buzzwords like quantum medicine and talked about how we should be exploring acupuncture, touch healing, and chakra medicine. It included biological breakdowns and asserted how these alternative healing modalities could be used to heal the body. The research was also funded by Wake Forest Center for Integrative Medicine. So this all sounds legit, right? Wake Forest Medical School is a legitimate medical school. The person writing it was a PhD and a board-certified psychiatric pharmacist. Everything checks out on the surface. But in 2021, Global Advances in Health and Medicine issued a retraction of that paper. Concerns had been raised to the editors of the journal, and very much to their credit, they set up three additional independent peer reviews for the article. So this is kind of how things are supposed to go when someone mm. makes an insane claim. Right. And someone points out and goes, hey, that sounds fucking nuts. Can we maybe get some more evidence? This right. is the process you should be going through. All right. These reviews found that, quote, numerous statements in the article were not supported by references or else were supported by references that were not from peer-supported sources. The conclusions stated in the article were not based on peer-reviewed literature. 
Uh, so I bring this all up to return to the old cliche that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Right, right, right. I do not believe the scientific world is quite as evil as some portray it. Now, certainly pharmaceutical companies have done some genuinely monstrous shit like getting the whole country hooked on dope or uh, giving tainted medicine to brown people. But when it comes to something like this, I generally trust it. They're, they are But business is booming. Well, that's exactly it. They're motivated by greed. They're yeah. not evil. They're greedy, which but the I guess numbers. can be the same thing. Look at the stock price. Well, so if energy healing was legit, they would find a way not to suppress it, but rather to monopolize it. You guys have to go to the pharmacist and he pulls out a bell and he's like, all right, come here and get your prescription. Yeah, you're going to take a, a sound bath. <laughs> Step into the chakra cleansing yeah. booth. <laughs> but uh, that, think about uh, Elizabeth. Welcome to CVS. <laughs> <laughs> just a, a guru. <laughs> just an Indian, a fucking Native American yeah. shaman back there. Welcome yeah. to Walmart. <laughs> here, here is your prescription for feathers. <laughs> so I, to this point, think of the case of Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. That technology didn't actually work, but they all jumped at a chance to fund it because they thought it would make them rich. Although, you know what's funny is actually they're going to get close to making what they wanted to work. You think so? She, oh, yeah. No, they actually have stuff on the market. She just... That's the funny thing about that is she just jumped the gun. Yeah, she all exaggerated she do, it. Well, all she had to do was like wait a decade and they probably would have been able to make that exact product. Yeah, it was kind of, it's based on real tech. Yeah, it just she, wasn't quite as advanced as she was The saying. real crime is she's just a dumb bitch that doesn't have impulse control. But yeah, as we were saying, if energy healing worked, there would be an energy healing booth in every Walgreens and CVS and Kaiser Permanente would have a telehealth distance healing service and charging your $500 yeah, a minute. Say, and your insurance would not cover it. Yeah, if there was a way to profit off these stuff, uh, this stuff, all these companies would figure it out, but there's no evidence that it works, so they don't do it because it would open them to a gigantic lawsuit. Just a doctor like, well, yeah, I I see you're fat and depressed. Have you uh, have you considered sound? Have you talked to an Indian guy? Yeah, would you like to, me to write your prescription for one Native American shaman session? Remote viewing. David proposes that energy healing and remote viewing both use the same mechanism. He says when one person thinks of another, they open a channel between themselves and what they are thinking of, and through that channel, light is transmitted and is the mechanism for accomplishing remote sight or healing. For this, David cites a number of interesting sources. Our good friend uh, Hal Putoff is included here, but so is the High Energy Institute of the People's Republic of China. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, That's what I was talking about earlier. Interestingly... David really likes citing communists. He, it's, uh, he... I don't know if he understands that. I, I mean, I know he doesn't understand that. No, he, he never really cites American science. It's always Russia or China. Yeah, or it's, it's always communist countries. Or it's an article in India Daily. <laughs> uh, so, interestingly enough, when you search for these sources, they all appear in one place. That is CIA.gov. The report is titled Psychoenergetic Research in the People's Republic of China. And the report is from October of 1982. Uh, it is a fun read, as I was saying earlier, and includes gems like the Chinese becoming interested in parapsychology and psychoenergetics because the U.S. and Russia were doing it at the nice. time. We must have been there to a meditation app. <laughs> also, it says China's interest in it was sparked by an article in the Sichuan Daily about <laughs> a 12-year-old named Tang Yu who they said... <laughs> They said he was able to read books if you put it against his ear, which... <laughs> 
This is the kind of science we were doing back in the day. Some some fucking kid was like, put the book against my ear. I can put read it. Put the book against my ear. I can hear the book, man. Oh, I know. Entire book of Old Man in the Sea. So this... <laughs> oh, 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 sea is a metaphor for our life. This, uh, so this led to China frantically <laughs> attempting to study this phenomenon, and they hosted a number of symposiums about it where a wide spectrum of viewpoints were aired, including discussions of examples in which it was concluded that deception had occurred. So they, that's <laughs> Someone is a lying. Yeah. yeah, so it turns out the kid couldn't actually read books with who, his ear. <laughs> who is a lying? Now, again, this is in the article <laughs> David cites. He just kind of neglects the part where they're like, hey, that thing wasn't real. He's like, ah, who? It was that. real in the first few chapters. It's real to me, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where where was I? The, uh, right. China was uh, frantically attempting to do this. It had not occurred. In this unclassified report, it does talk about how the scientists did make claims and say they had been able to reproduce studies in which people could accurately remote view these Chinese characters. This is interesting, but the report also points out that the, quote, technical evaluation of efforts such as those presented at the Institute of High Energy Physics is, of course, difficult on the basis of a short laboratory visit and the exchange of a few publications. Right. So this is basically like we sent a CIA spy disguised as an American scientist to try and figure this shit out. Right, right, right. Uh, the conclusion they draw is that, quote, although information available to the West is insufficient at the present time to assess with confidence the actual quality of research, and indeed there is evidence that some of the early work was relatively naive by Western standards, the signs of increasing research activity steps towards legitimization and official sanction indicate steady progress at a relatively rapid pace. Uh, so while this is an interesting paper, it doesn't actually provide evidence of what David claims it does. It reiterates multiple times that the evidence is shoddy, but it was China's continued pursuit of it that made them interested in keeping tabs on it. It should also be noted that the initial surge in interest in this topic occurred in the 70s and 80s, and since that time, uh, we don't have government scientists doing so much research about kids listening to books placed on their head. Right, right, right. Chapter 5. The Global Adversary. David gives a brief background on Dr. Cleve Baxter, a former CIA employee who developed the polygraph test. I won't go too far into why the polygraph isn't a great tool, but suffice it to say it's not known for its accuracy, as evidenced in a paper titled Beyond the Polygraph, Deception Detection, and the Autonomic Nervous System. In that paper, it is explained that, quote, by using vital signs as an indirect measurement of deception-induced stress, the polygraph machine may provide a false positive or negative result if a patient has inherited or acquired conditions that affect the autonomic nervous system. The APA also noted in an article about the polygraph that, quote, it may, in fact, be impossible to conduct a proper validity study. But boy, did it send a lot of people to jail. Yeah, boy, did it fuck a lot of dudes yeah. over. They still ah, use man. it. They still use it all the time in the but interrogation videos I've watched. But it's inadmissible in court now. Yeah, it can't be. I think there's certain states where you can, but Texas is not one of them. I mean, I guess it's just good to fuck with whoever you're questioning. Yeah, so even this ex explanation kind of strikes me as too kind. I, I don't believe there is any evidence that proves it can be used to determine fact from fiction. I think the primary function of the polygraph is to deceive the people subjected to it yeah. and to believing the device can magically tell the difference between fact and fiction. Then when the subject fails the test, as they always do, they'll think they've been caught and are more likely to confess in the same mm -hmm. way police dogs will hit on a false positive in order to give the police a reason to search someone's car. 
that's yeah that's exactly what we were just talking about is they just everyone who takes the test some guy comes back in and they always tell him like oh boy you failed it big time yeah you you goof buddy we know you did it yeah there's it's it's fucking oh god you know i did it it's just it's theater is yeah. all it is and it works you know pretty well yeah look it turns out people are stupid so that uh, that whole thing's not important though david brings up the polygraph and starts talking about how this cleve baxter guy tried using it on plants and found that when he would imagine harming the plant, the plant would give off a scream. Yeah, now this is the logic that ended up with him bathing in pee. This is, that's exactly what my next sentence is. In yeah. fact, I believe this is the root of David's breakdown where he talked about sneaking up on yogurt yeah. and murdering it while it's screaming. According to Wilcock, Baxter found that, quote, this alert system is constantly at work in nature and forms a collective consciousness among all living things. Baxter tested plants, yogurt bacteria, chicken eggs, animal cells, and human cells and found that when one organism feels stress, pain, fear, and danger, an energetic beacon is sent out to every other life form around it. As is typical of the works David cites, no one has been able to replicate these results. Oh, it turns out he was uh, <laughs> schizophrenic. Well, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was actually talking to the shrubs. It's actually even easier than that. But uh, one such study from 1975 is titled Plant Primary Perception Electrophysiological Unresponsiveness to Brine Shrimp Killing. In which it is stated, <laughs> well, that's how they, they, they tried to get the plant to scream. They would put like a brine shrimp in the water. Just torturing a plant. <laughs> well, no, they... <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they tortured the brine shrimp. Oh, the brine shrimp. Yeah, they would kill the shrimp, and then the plant would shriek in terror. <laughs> Bunch of fucking idiots. <laughs> oh, God, it's so it's so dumb when you say it out loud yeah. that you're like, how did they not know how stupid this sounded? Well, yeah, like, what what are we supposed to do? Even if that's true, what do we do? <laughs> okay, the, great, the plants are shrieking in horror. Oh, no, feel... my daffodils are terrified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what am I supposed to do about it? Give, give them Xanax? So in this paper, it states, uh, quote, test conditions conform to those published by Baxter or communicated in personal exchanges. Data were analyzed from five experiments in which each of the recordings were made from four plants in the presence of three brine shrimp killings and two controlled water ejections. Inspection of the data analysis by two statistical methods revealed no relationship between brine shrimp killing and electrical responsiveness of philodendron. That's not the only study either. Another paper, also from 1975, titled Plant Primary Perception. See, this is kind of a, a further point I'm driving at. Someone puts out a ridiculous study like, uh, you know, plants get scared. Right, and right. And other guys see it. And they try and replicate it because that would be crazy if it was true. Yeah, that'd be wild. David just always ignores the guys who try to replicate it because the evidence is not there. Well, look, they just failed because they weren't David. Yeah, well, that's kind of it. Like, as long as yeah. it, it's it's magical thinking, it's the same thing all the psychics do when they yeah. get called out on the spot and they're like, oh, the, the energy field is wrong. I can't. Well, in David's mind, he knows that he can do it. Yeah, yeah, he's for sure psychic. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else is lying. Uh, where was this other study? Right, plant primary perception, primary perception the other side of the leaf. <laughs> I hate when scientists use puns in their paper. Ah, um, uh, you fag. So, so this paper found, quote, the data of the plant brine shrimp experiments and the self-feeding experiments conducted at Science Unlimited lend no support to Baxter's hypothesis of the existence of a primary perception mechanism operating at the organismic or cellular level. The data are, however, consistent with reports of others who have also attempted to replicate Baxter's findings. 
That study also states that the researchers believe that Baxter's results were just a random electrical functioning of Baxter's electrode system. Right. So basically he just had like a broken machine. Uh, and instead of realizing his machine was broken, he thought plants were sentient. Oh, he went crazy and thought the plants were screaming in pain. Yeah, you should probably isolate the most basic experiment before, oh, you know, the most oh. basic elements before you declare that uh, your your rosacea bush is screaming in pain. What a, what a, what a rough day for him. When they realized, oh, you mean, <laughs> oh, you the mean machine's the, broken. The machine was was broken the whole time. Oh, oh, how embarrassing. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, I, I look. I guess I went a little kooky. To uh, to add insult to injury here, there was also a 2005 MythBusters episode that failed to reproduce the results. Oh no, man! They're just <laughs> roasting this dude years later. Leave yeah. him alone. He went. He went kooky, but it wasn't his fault. It'd be a lot of I mean, fun it was kinda, if it was true. It was kind of his fault because he didn't check his machine, <laughs> but he was getting the readings. He must have been so fucking blown away when it first came back. He's like, I've made the discovery of the century. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I can't tear, like necessarily blame him too much because he was like, yeah, this is insane. Yeah, I can't fault people. The for trees being... are fucking freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't fault people for being eager beavers. Yeah. He really thought he had discovered, you know, that but he was going to be a name in science. He really, he thought he was going to be up there with Einstein and he was like... Oh, the machine was broken. Oh, oh, oh. I just need a new machine. Oh, well, okay. My mistake. Except he never did that. He never apologized <laughs> well, for Well, I mean, <laughs> you can't admit that to yourself. That would ruin your whole world. No, because it makes you look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it really... It really makes you look like a silly goose. Well, unfortunately for David, he uses this shoddy research as a foundation to propose the idea that all biological life is connected via this universal energy source, and that, quote, we can safely conclude that whenever we begin focusing our attention on a particular person, we begin transferring photons to them through a tunnel that may p exist as a basic, as yet undiscovered law of nature that interconnects all living things, perhaps akin to a wormhole. Uh, wow. Suffice it to say, we can actually not safely conclude that. We, we cannot. Oh, we can't. No, no, we oh. can't conclude that we're all telepathically communicating via wormhole. Oh, that's unfortunate. I'm also not sure how he even arrived at the wormhole part. He kind of just threw that in there. Oh, uh, you know, he was just being, you know, creative. We next jump back to Dr. William Broad, yeah. Broad who, according to David, quote, proved that simply staring at someone is enough to trigger their bodies to have an excited response, even at a distance where there is no physical line of sight between the two individuals. This is something known as the psychic staring effect. And funnily enough, in the study David cites, the test subjects were correct about 59% of the time. And uh, I went and found other studies. Another study performed by John E. Coover found a hit rate of 50.2%. Notice that these percentages are pretty close. David uses that 59% number to say that it is more than pure chance, whereas Johnny Coover, who actually conducted the experiment, uh, stated that the hit rate was a, quote, astonishing approximation of pure chance. So essentially, <laughs> well, it's, a, it's coin flip. If I ask you a series... Maybe. Well, if I ask you a series of yes or no questions over, the long, uh, over a long time frame, we would expect you to be right about 50% of the time because it's a 50-50 question. Um, so, un, yeah, unsurprisingly, given that it's a 50-50 chance to get it right, we see three separate studies. Rupert Sheldrake also did one on this, and that result was also around 50%. So when you give someone a 50-50 shot, the study will show they get it right 
about 50% of the time. I see. David took that to mean something monumental, though. Also, to put the uh, final pin in this, an article called The Psychic Staring Effect, an Artifact of Pseudo-Randomization, came to the conclusion that, quote, Rupert Sheldrake claims that people can tell when somebody is staring at them. Unfortunately, the sequences used in Sheldrake's research are not properly randomized. When random sequences are used, people can detect staring at no better than chance rates. Mm. Quick aside to mention a few things that give us better insight into David's paranoia. David said he received a death threat on December 14th of 2011, which oddly enough is, you know, that was yesterday as we record right, this. Right, right. Uh, and that two weeks later, a man named David Hutzler gave him a lead on where to find some information about the financial scandals David had been researching. A week after that, David Hutzler and his son were each shot to death and their house was burned down. For a man that's already inclined to be paranoid, I can see why that would push David over the edge, and I sort of sympathize with that. Uh, and because I get sidetracked easily and I like true crime, I was looking up this case and found that it was originally uh, classified as a murder-suicide, but, yeah. but a year later it was ruled as a double homicide. <clears throat> Sick. As best I could find, the case still hasn't been solved, but I think it's important to point out that the father was a congressman in a sovereign citizen group called the Republic for the United States of America. Nice. And he had been known to post rants about how soon there would be no choice but for the patriots like him to lead an insurrection. We gotta go kill the blacks. <laughs> also, shortly before his murder, he had broken away from a group to form his own sovereign citizen group called the Vandalia Solution. No, uh, no you don't understand. I wrote a letter to my <laughs> congressman telling him I don't want to pay taxes this year, <laughs> and now I don't have to pay taxes this year. Well, paranoid anti government people do have a long history of meeting their fate at the end of the barrel of a gun. That's the thing they don't <laughs> tell you. If you just write them a letter and say, I'm not going to do it, legally speaking, under the Constitution, you don't have to do it. I love when those people go going to be like, actually, the, the <laughs> naval the naval code of the 1700s, like that has fuck all to do with modern taxes. <laughs> Officer, what do you mean I, I have to pay taxes? <laughs> I wrote the letter saying... I don't have to pay taxes, and you're telling me now I do have to pay, oh, back taxes, too. Okay. Oh, I'm oh, my, fucked. Oh, my letter didn't count? I, oh. I, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but a guy who was the head of a sovereign citizen group who promoted the whole, like, you don't have to pay taxes thing is currently in prison for not paying his taxes. Oh, that's the funniest part of all of this is they all eventually end up meeting with a cop or something, and yeah. they're like, no, I don't have to do that, and the officer's like, yeah, no, actually you do. Yes, actually so. you do have to follow the law yeah. even, no matter how many YouTube videos you watch. Yeah, oh no, just because you say I don't have to doesn't mean, what do you mean it doesn't mean <laughs> you don't have to do it? Well, so not too long after that guy died, another one of David's friends died close to uh, David's house. David wouldn't say how he died out of respect Fentanyl. for the family. <laughs> he was early on it. He, <laughs> yeah. got, he got that 2010 fent. <clears throat> Uh, David clearly believes foul play was involved, even though he doesn't specify. I killed him. And finally, not too long after that, David says that one of his top insiders was poisoned. Wow. Uh, that dude didn't die, and David is pretty stingy with the details. Oh, David's the one who poisoned him. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a, a black widow killer. I mention all that to give insight into how David tends to reverse engineer solutions. He was working on writing something about a deep state financial crime, and he believed it to be very dangerous. As a result of those beliefs, he came to the conclusion that all three of his friends had been attacked due to their affiliation with providing him information on the topic, despite there being absolutely no evidence that that was the case. 
All right. It's, uh, you know, something he tends to do. Chapter six, karma is real. Uh, we've talked about how much David recycles material, but reading this and checking sources has really driven it home. In this chapter, he mentions using BibleRealityCheck.com for his religious research, which nice. is the same site he used in uh, Michael Prophecies. And I didn't. there's no fact-checking to be done in this chapter. He just talks about different Bible passages. Chapter 7, Reincarnation. We start this chapter with David talking about Dr. Ian Stevenson, who interviewed more than 3,000 children from all over the world. That should be a concern right off the bat. Yeah. And who had memories of a past life. When I read this, it felt familiar. And sure enough, it's because I had already fact-checked this because he included this exact section verbatim in the Michael Prophecies. <laughs> uh, Stevenson would go around and he would interview children about past lives and then try to verify the info. The work is interesting, but he doesn't exactly address the fact that Stevenson was generally regarded as having asked leading questions and additionally worked through translators, so some of the nuance may have been lost. Stevenson also only interviewed kids in cultures where beliefs of reincarnation are common. The kids also tended to be poor, and a lot had memories of being richer in a past life, which contemporaries of Stevenson noted may have been a ploy by them to try and get cash out of the rich families they claim they were a part of in a ah, past life. I see. Uh, his research assistant also claimed that only in 11 of the 1,111 cases had there been no contact between the kid and the family who they claimed to uh, remember being a part of. Uh, another guy claimed that number is 23, not 11, but either way, 23 out of over 1,100 cases isn't great either. No, it's not. Of those 11 cases, seven were deemed to be seriously flawed because Stevenson would report his witnesses' conclusions as fact as opposed to generating a conclusion based on the evidence. It has also been claimed that Stevenson simply did not include those cases that didn't conform to his hypothesis. Stevenson did work at the uh, University of Virginia as the head of their mental health program, so you may be wondering why he was allowed to carry out paranormal research at a legitimate college, as I kind of did. Uh, as with most questions, the answer is money. The, Hell yeah. <laughs> this is a weird th uh, The guy who invented the Xerox had a kooky uh, crystal bitch wife nice. who introduced him to Stevenson's work. So when that guy died, our, our Xerox inventor friend died, he left a million dollars to the University of Virginia, but stipulated that it had to be used to fund Stevenson's paranormal research. Damn, that's so dope. It is pretty cool. I wish there was more things like that. Like, that yeah. is fun. I, Do I, something cool with your money at the end. Yeah, give $10 million to ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> Just see what Find happens. Find my ghost. David also includes the words of Jim Tucker, who worked alongside Stevenson at the University of Virginia. David cites him stating that, quote, reincarnation is the most likely explanation for the strongest cases. And for this, David cites an article titled, I died in Jerusalem in 1276, says doctor who underwent hypnosis to reveal former life. That's pretty dope. Yeah, that's not exactly a scientific paper. And even better is that David loves this article so much, he would cite it again in the Michael Prophecies. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, the Daily Mail article cites Stevenson's work as evidence of reincarnation, but even the Daily Mail takes care to point out that, quote, reincarnation is highly controversial. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah. Highly controversial. Well, it's not a good sign that the fucking Daily Mail is doing a better yeah. job fact-checking your claims than hey, you are. Hey, I'm, you know, take it with a grain of salt. David also cites Carol Bowman, who wrote a book called Children's Past Lives, How Past Life Memories Affect Your Child. In this book, she focuses on using past life regression to heal childhood phobias. Oh, yeah, I forgot about this kooky broad. She claims... 
to have cured her son of a phobia of loud noises that he had apparently developed as a result of fighting in the Civil War in a past life. She doesn't say what side he fought on, though, so I'm going to go pro-slavery. Her son was autistic because he was a Confederate soldier? Yeah, he was a racist in a past life, so he's afraid of cannon booms. Carol tends to make pretty big leaps in her logic. For example, she says, quote, Recent scientific studies have shown that babies in utero, beginning at 26 to 30 weeks, exhibit the brain patterns of REM sleep, which scientists know indicate dreaming. What could these unborn babies be dreaming about since their only experiences have been in the confines of the womb? Past lives is the logical answer. Nice. It's not the logical answer. That is a complete guess that she does not substantiate. Nah, that's the logical choice. They're they're dreaming (laughs) of killing blacks. And uh, what would David Book be without... Edgar Casey. Uh, I think the quickest way I can convey my feelings about Edgar Casey is that pretty much all the issues I have with David are present with Casey, which makes sense because David says he's Edgar Casey. He says he is Edgar. And you're like, <laughs> well, actually, now that I look at it, you know, some <laughs> things line up. Yeah, being a complete fraud is something they have in common. Yeah, that's the thing. He's not coming back as a psychic. He's just coming back as a really good fraud. Yeah, as a huckster. Yeah. Confidence man. Uh Casey would talk about giants in Atlantis and aliens, which doesn't really bother me. I don't believe he provided valid information, but I don't believe it's harmful. He mostly wrote about genital length of the different species. I wish. Uh, didn't we do an article about someone who wasn't, there was a story about some lady who claimed she like categorized Bigfoot penis lengths or something. Well, we all have our hobbies. Uh, yeah, we need that lady. That lady is doing the real work. Yeah, I want to know the dick lengths of of the Sasquatch. My my, my bigger <laughs> my bigger issue with Edgar Casey uh, is the, he claims he could diagnose and treat illnesses even from a distance. Being wrong about Atlantis is one thing, but giving a sick person the wrong diagnosis or wrong medicine is potentially fatal. Right. I'll quickly run through some of Edgar Casey's predictions, and I think that should illustrate why I don't believe he had special powers. Right. Number one. Casey predicted that in 1958, the U.S. would discover the death ray that was used on Atlantis. I don't think that happened. That's too bad. That would have been cool. Would have been really cool. He predicted that California would fall into the ocean and that New York would be destroyed by cataclysm. That has uh, also not happened. They're still here, unfortunately. He, he, he predicted that 1933 would be a good year. Uh, 1933 Oops. was the height of the Great Depression. Well, I mean, you know, good year for some. Yeah, maybe it's good for him. I don't yeah. know. He uh, he also said China would be converted to Christianity by 1968. Oh, no, they executed them. Yeah, that oh, is also right. not happened. Ooh. And uh, finally, he also predicted that the second coming of Christ would occur in 1998, which has also not happened. Yeah, well, we must have missed him. (laughs) Maybe maybe Christ got hit by a car and died as a kid or something. Oh, no, something went wrong. So in this section, David is citing Casey's work as proof that souls reincarnate in groups. Uh, Basically, he he says a group of people reincarnate together in the same area and this is one of the reasons the cycles of history repeat themselves. So basically, it's the same people in the same place, and they're doing right. the same shit. Right. There is absolutely no evidence for this, but David makes the claim that because Casey had been so accurate in all his other readings, we can just trust him on this. I mean, look, it sounds right. Yeah, it would feel good to believe it. Yeah. Uh, to me, what Casey offered is basically mass-scale cold reading. He gave so many readings to so many people that eventually some of the stuff he said is going to be semi-accurate. And as long as you just ignore all the inaccurate stuff, it, it looks okay, kind of like yeah. what David does. Yeah, look, look, you just mend the truth to what you need it to be. Yeah, if you only look at the parts where I'm right, I'm yeah. never wrong. 
Casey also believed that karma from past lives would manifest in the individual's current life in the form of illnesses. For example, quote, a physician sought a reading for his young boy who had suffered from anemia since early childhood. Apparently five lifetimes earlier, this boy had an incarnation during which he had seized power by brute force in Peru wow. and had shed much blood in order to establish his dictatorship. Wow. The anemia had left him very weak in his current incarnation, a far cry from the physical power and strength he had enjoyed before. Wow. Obviously, there's no way to fact check that a kid was an emperor in Peru five yeah, generations ago. Yeah, that's an ago. uncheckable fact. Yeah, I'm not super convinced. Uh, there's also a section here about the karma of mockery. Basically, if you mock someone for something, you are destined to experience a similar or worse fate in your next incarnation. Wow. I know David would likely use this to explain how both of us are going to suffer unimaginable pain in their next lives, but wow. I'd like to flip that around and ask David what the fuck he did to, uh, in his past life to have his life completely fall apart over the last several years. Well, yeah, look, the next one might be rough for us, but this one's pretty rough for him. Well, in terms of if you want to do the whole karma thing, yeah. both of our lives have done nothing but improve in the past yeah. two years. Years. David's, we're, we're fine. David has collapsed. He's lost everything. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah. So maybe uh, maybe address your own karma before trying to put that on to he's us. He's lost everything but his dog. I was, uh, I'm trying not to just pull random in excerpts from the book, but some of the shit is just so weird. I, I kind of need to quote. It is also surprising to discover how much of our waking personalities can be affected by what we apparently experienced in our past lives. According to the Casey readings. In one case, an extremely prejudiced white supremacist had been imprisoned, tortured, and beaten to death by black soldiers in another lifetime. Nice. And his hatred of all people of color carried through multiple lifetimes. <laughs> an anti-Semitic newspaper columnist had a past life experience as a Samaritan in Palestine, in which she was frequently and violently attacked by her Jewish neighbors. Oh, no. A 38-year-old unmarried woman could not trust men on a very deep level and was never able to form lasting relationships. She had been deserted by her husband and her earlier lifetime when he went off to join the crusades oh that's too bad it's important to keep in mind that when david is writing passages like that he's still including citations and adding that towards his academic citation number the the academic citation about the racist soldier in the past life he he puts he gives that the same weight is like an actual scientific paper well it is to him yeah but it's it's reputation washing yeah. he puts he puts bullshit next to real stuff and then just kind of expects you to accept the bullshit on the back of the legitimate research. In his mind, it makes sense. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, this is what I was talking about at the very beginning. In this portion, in just this chapter, the book titled Many Mansions, which is about Edgar Casey, is cited 24 different times. Sick. I don't think a book about a charlatan should count towards your academic citations. I could write an article that cites 4chan 200 times, but I wouldn't expect people to be impressed by my evidence. All right. And that is actually we're going to wrap up today. We're exactly Word. we're at the halfway mark, and uh, we will get further into cycles next time. Hell yeah, way dude. further into cycles. Hell yeah, bro. David's evidence continues to deteriorate. Nice. <laughs> All right, uh, Patreon.com/slash in plain sight pod. I haven't decided what we're going to do today. Uh, I'll find something once we wrap this up. Uh, you are, we are at Hidden Plain Sight Radio on Instagram. You are at Brandon Steel Hidden on Instagram. We are at the Hidden Pod on Twitter. Until Friday, the final conclusion of Synchronicity Key. Hootie hoop. Mom, bow.